It's a pleasure for us. Hopefully while you're here, you'll uh, ask any questions you have. I want to invite you over to the Welcome Center. Uh, we've got a gift for you, and so please don't leave without that. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 25. And uh, we're going to continue on in our study about the church. And uh, this morning we've got one point again, and the reason why we did that is the same reason why last week we had one point is that that is because we've got a lot of scriptures around this one point, and I think it's so vital. This is such an important thing. But last week we did see this we should use everything at our disposal to be effective for the kingdom of God. And we talked about the different things uh, that God has given to us that we should be using to be effective for the kingdom of God. So many times we have all these blessings in this life and we use them just to please ourselves. And I think God wants us to enjoy the blessings that He gives us. But I think our primary focus as setting our mind on things above should be to be effective vessels, to be uh, vessels that are meet for the Master to use in His eternal kingdom. So that's why I think we should look at our life like that, our, our time, the resources we have, the things that we have in our, within our uh, stewardship, we should be using that primarily for the kingdom of God. And again, there's, there's blessings that come along uh, with that that we get to enjoy while we're in these temporal vessels. But Paul we've seen, has been in prison for two years uh, there in Caesarea. Two Roman governors have been in charge, and he's now given the been given the opportunity through this uh, to be a witness, to be a testimony for Jesus Christ to both of these governors and to all the Jews, of course, that have come to try to accuse him, to have him put to death. We know that Felix was the first governor that was in charge. He got reassigned, if you will. And then Festus is, Festus is now in charge, and he wants to do the Jews a favor. He wants to be liked by the Jews. He wants to keep his job. Um, and so he is looking, the Bible says, to please them, to do them a favor. And so now he's willing to do whatever they are asking him to do. His plan was to send Paul back to Jerusalem because that's what they wanted to do so they could assassinate Paul on the way back to Jerusalem. But what would be divine intervention? Paul uses one of those things at his disposal to advance the kingdom of God. And that was his rights. And we talked about that the rights that we have. We should be using them to be effective for the kingdom of God. Not just to, to, to bask in them and, and live, live it up in this world only. Paul used that so that he could continue the gospel work. And the rights that he has was, was as a Roman citizen, he could appeal to Caesar. That's exactly what he did. When, when Festus said, you don't want to send you back to Jerusalem? That way they can deal with you. And he says, well, I, I appeal to Caesar then. Again, divine intervention because God wasn't done with Paul, obviously. And I've said that many times, I've preached that many times in this church, that you're still here, you're still breathing. Many times we go through hard times where the nostrils are singing about it. Sometimes there's, there's desperate situations we get into and we're just like, man, what is God doing? What are, you, what are you doing in my life? I feel like I'm useless right now. I feel like I, I don't have a purpose. Look, if you're still breathing, you're still here, God has a purpose for you. Even in the trials, and maybe sometimes especially in the trials. We don't look at it like that because, again, we were saturated with living our lives for ourselves. And I'm not saying that because you're going through a hard time and, it's, and you're struggling that you're, it's because you're living your life for yourself. Don't, don't take that away from that. But many times we are so focused on our own comfort and our own pleasure and the life that we want to live that we don't always see with those spiritual eyes, with that eternal perspective, and realize that maybe God, in the midst of this great tragedy and this great tr struggle and this great trial that I'm in, is doing something that He couldn't otherwise do in my life and through my life. 
And obvious, that was obvious for the Apostle Paul being in this, in this prison. And again, God wasn't done with him, um, so he appeals to Caesar. Festus has to honor Paul's appeal, again, because it was the Romans' uh, law. As a Roman citizen, he had that right. And so Paul continues in the gospel work as an evangelist, as an apostle, and uh, as a representative of God's kingdom. And so we're going to continue on in Acts chapter 25. We jump back into it in verse 13. Now, when several days had elapsed, King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa, and Bernice arrived at Caesarea, and they paid their respects to Festus. While they were spending many days there, Festus laid Paul's case before the king. Right? He's trying to figure out how, how he's going to go about this and, and, and maybe how he can look good because that's what he was worried about. And so he puts it in front of the king and says, hey, there's, there's a man who's left, in prison, uh, left as a prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priest, remember uh, Agrippa had come from Jerusalem. That's where he was, his throne was. So he said, when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priest and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. And so here's what I did. I answered them that it's not the custom of the Romans to hand over any man before the accused meets his accusers face to face and has an opportunity to make his defense against the charges. So after they assembled here, I did not delay, but on the next day I took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought before me. When the accusers stood up, they began bringing charges against him, not of such crimes as I was expecting, right? He'd been in prison uh, for two years, Felix left him there. This guy was a controversial prisoner. And so, so you can imagine Festus was anticipating hearing some really juicy charges that he could maybe handle and say, oh, yeah, I did the right thing. He said, I, I wasn't expecting the charges that they, were, they brought against him uh, to be the charges. But they simply had some points of disagreement, a disagreement with him about their own religion. And I want you to hear these words. And about a dead man... Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive, right? That, that was the problem. That was the issue. That was the struggle. It was that these Jews didn't like the fact that Paul was still preaching Jesus Christ, crucified and risen and coming again. They didn't like that. They don't want to hear the gospel. They didn't like to hear that their religion was dead and it was taking them to hell and their own self-righteous, filthy works. They didn't want to hear any of that. They didn't want to hear that Jesus was the only way to eternal life. And so they wanted Paul, along with the church and everybody else who was proclaiming this message about Jesus Christ, this dead man, that they were asserting was alive. That was still the problem. So being at a loss how to investigate such matters, he continues, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there stand trial on these matters because it was a religious problem. I mean, yeah, it was an issue in my jurisdiction because people were fighting. There was an uproar. There, was, there were problems, and, and, and I didn't want to get in trouble because I wasn't managing my area right. So I heard the case. But really, it's a matter of their own religion. So I wanted to send them back to Jerusalem and let them deal with it, kind of like they did that Jesus guy. But when Paul, I'm sorry, but when, yeah, I'm sorry, when Paul had, uh, appealed to be held in custody for the emperor's decision, then I ordered him to be kept in custody until I sent him to Caesar. So Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself tomorrow. He said, you shall hear him. Such an interesting thing, right? So you can imagine the Apostle Paul not really knowing what lies ahead. I mean, same thing for us. God hadn't shown him 
other than what Jesus had told him. We've already, we've already seen that, uh, where he told him, you're going to stand before governors and kings and be a testimony to me. Uh, other than that, Paul hadn't been given very clear, direct insight on who he was going to stand before and what he was going to do. And again, that's the reality for you and I today. I, I don't know who I'm going to meet tomorrow. You don't know who you may run into tomorrow. We don't know what the situation is going to be in our country in a year from now. There are things that are in our future that we have no idea about. There's no way that the Apostle Paul knew that he was going to be standing before not one governor of Rome, but two governors of Rome. And not only that, that he was actually going to get to stand before a king. And oh, spoiler alert, he's going to get to stand before Caesar. He's going to get to be in Rome. There's no way that Paul, again, now, now the Holy Spirit had revealed that to Paul that, that in Rome he would go there and suffer. But he didn't know this necessarily was going to be the exact journey that he would take through Caesarea in front of these governors and in front of King Herod Agrippa. But the first point here, the point that we have this morning, the struggle that Festus had trying to figure out what the problem was, the struggle that was the cause of contention between the religious Jews and Paul and the church, is something we've talked about in, in, in this series already, but it's still the contention today. And this, this is the point. The resurrection is the pivotal point of the gospel. The resurrection is the pivotal point of the gospel. Many people say, well, I, I thought that the, the cross, we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about how important the cross is and how important the blood is. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, the substitutionary death, his burial, and his resurrection from the dead. That there, there's not, it's incomplete gospel if you just talk about the cross, the blood, the death, the atonement, the sacrifice. It's all, all that is essential and vital, but it's incomplete without the gospel. The gospel is the pivotal point. I mean, the resurrection is the pivotal point of the gospel. Again, God incarnate. So what is the gospel? We've talked about that in this series as well. The gospel is just the, 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 the word that's translated good news. That's what it means. Yongalizo. So it, it, it's, it, it means good news, good tidings. That's what the angels brought to those shepherds. We bring you good tidings. We bring you good news. God incarnate lived a sinless life to be the only worthy sacrifice for all of mankind's sins. Again, that is essential. You can't have the gospel without that first part, that God came in human flesh, was born of a virgin, lived that sinless life so that he could be the sacrifice and go to the cross to pay for all of our sins. The 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says it like this in verse 21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's an amazing reality, right? It's, it's, it's a glorious exchange, this glorious exchange of God who is absolutely righteous and perfect and sinless in every form and factor. He is perfection, took on the form of sinful man, was not sinful man, but took on the form of sinful man, lived among sinners, 
We yet without sin was tempted and tried and tested in every single point that we are, yet he never sinned. He was the worthy one. He was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He is absolutely the only one who could pay for our sin. And the Bible says that not only he, he could and that he would, but that he did. He paid for our sins. The work of Christ on the cross is essential. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, a very familiar verse to most of us in here probably. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, I could say let's all say it together. And we would, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But listen to what it says after that. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So being justified, a, a declaration, a judicial matter handled, it means that you are absolutely declared innocent before the righteous throne of God. Justified, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption the purchase prize, us being purchased by Jesus Christ and by him alone, whom God displayed publicly, listen, as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over sins, the sins previously committed. Say, man, that is a lot of words. What does that mean? Well, I want us to understand the word propitiation. Again, it means atonement. uh, Atonement. There's another way to say atonement. We say, what is is atonement? We could say expiate. Expiate is another word that means to extinguish the guilt, to make guilt obsolete, to satisfy the demands of that guilt. And so it's a two-part act, this word propitiation, the word atonement, the word expiate, It it all has this this, this two-part act that involves both appeasing the wrath of an offended person and then being reconciled to him. I don't know if you understand how vital that is, but the Bible says that we were hopeless. We, We had no power. We had no ability to save ourselves. There's no way that we could have done anything, no matter if we sacrifice our firstborn child like Isaac. There's no, there's nothing we could do, even if we sacrificed our own life and lived as close to the law as we could. Nobody in their own ability could ever come close to satisfying the righteous demands of a holy God. But Jesus did it for us. The, the Greek word is hilasterion. It also carries with it the literal physical meaning I want you to understand this, of the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. The lid of the Ark of the Covenant is also the same Greek word. What was poured on the mercy seat? The blood of the yearly sacrifice that would make a temporary, listen to the word, atonement, a temporary satisfaction of the sins of the people. Year after year, they had to do this. Year after year, the high priest would have to go and sprinkle the blood on the hilasterion, on the mercy seat, so that atonement, so that propitiation, satisfaction would be done. Year after year, the Bible says this would be done. 
Year after year, it had to be done. Year after year, the high priest would have to cleanse himself and purge himself and and prepare himself so that he could enter into that most holy place and sprinkle on that mercy seat so that God's righteous demands over the sins of his people would be satisfied for that year. But this is what the amazing good news is. Jesus satisfied our debt perfectly, wholly, and eternally. He doesn't have to keep going back to the cross. No one will ever have to go to the cross again. The cross never has to be experienced again because Jesus himself experienced at one time, one sacrifice for all of mankind. That's a phenomenal thought, right? Because you and I, I was just praying about this this morning, how, how often do we come back to God day after day sometimes and say this, God, I'm so sorry for this. And it may be the same exact thing that we're asking him forgiveness for the day before. God, I'm sorry for doubting you. God, I'm sorry for being worried about this. God, I'm, I'm sorry for, 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 for saying this or thinking this or doing this. God, I'm sorry. We may do that year after year, but that one sacrifice for all mankind is sufficient for every single sin that we have ever or will ever commit. Amen. That's a phenomenal thing. He paid, he satisfied that debt perfectly, holy, and eternally when he was crucified. So the, the death of Jesus Christ, the atonement, the, the, the blood poured out on our behalf, the, 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 another theological term is this, it was a substitutionary death. In other words, we're the ones that sinned, and every single person in this place, no matter how close to God we could ever have become, every single one of us deserved to be on that cross. We were the criminals. We were the ones that offended a holy God, not Jesus. But out of his great love, he went to the cross, and he was the substitute in our place. A substitutionary death. Romans chapter 5. I love this chapter. I mentioned some verses from it a while ago, um, but it says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, in other words, it's not by righteous works, it's not by anything else we could do. The only way that we can be declared righteous, a judicial term, a judge determines that you are innocent. The only way that we can be declared by God as innocent, justified, the Bible says, is by faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we were, at, we were enemies of God. We were at enmity with God. We were at hostility. Our relationship was hostile because we were sinners, and He is not. He is holy. We are not. We were at this, this completely opposed place. We were not at peace with God. But because of Jesus Christ, through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith, into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Here it is. Knowing that our tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, who's writing this book? Well, the Holy Spirit is, but he's using the Apostle Paul. It's to the Romans, right? That, that's who he's about to go see, the Caesar. He said, well, we, we also exalt in our tribulations because we know that our tribulation is, is going to produce this perseverance, this endurance, this steadfastness. And we also know that perseverance, that steadfastness, this endurance, it, it produces proven character. And proven character brings about this 
confident expectation, hope. And hope never disappoints. Confident expectation in Jesus Christ never disappoints because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. For while we were still helpless, is what I mentioned a while ago, while we were still helpless, powerless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And I want you to hear these verses. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though though perhaps for, for the good man, someone would even dare to die. I mean, you could see that. You can imagine that. Much more, I'm sorry, but God demonstrates his love toward us. Not because we were good men. Not because we were righteous men. But while we were in the midst of being sinners, unrighteous, separated, hostile, enmity, enemies of God, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, declared judicially innocent because of the blood of Jesus, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. And I want you to know, praise God for that. You and I should be praising God every single day of our lives if we're a Christian because we've been saved from the wrath of God because of Jesus Christ. Man, I'm telling you what, I I have no idea what it feels like to have spikes driven through my wrists. I have no idea what the torment it might feel to have a spike driven through both of my, my ankles. I have no idea what it would feel like to have leather straps with rocks and glass and, 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 and bones laced inside of them and torn across my back, open it up like a flesh garden 39, 40 times. No idea how tormenting and how, how physically miserable that would be. But I will say one thing I will never know that's even a greater experience of the wrath of God. And that was in that moment that Jesus Christ, as the sacrifice for all of our sins, and the Father looking on the Son, had that moment of separation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus took all of that for us. Another thing I praise God that I will never have to wonder about what that wrath feels like is to spend not even one second in a lake of fire that burns burns with fire and brimstone for eternity. I will never know what it's like to be in outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing and wailing. I'll never know what it's going to be like to to be tormented day and night where the smoke ascends forever and never, ever, ever, ever have a hope one single sliver of hope that I'll ever get a second of relief for all of eternity. The wrath of God will be poured out. And yet as a child of God, we're saved from it because of Jesus. See, when we think about the good news, we hear the gospel and we hear this amazing thing. We think about, man, this is awesome. I love being saved. I'm going to heaven one day. I get to live my life for me on earth and I get to do all these things. And and then one day God's going to take me home and go to heaven. Listen, your salvation was purchased. You were spared the wrath of God. You, You deserve the cross and the punishment and the lashing and the fiery brimstone for all of eternity. But Jesus took all of the wrath And you and I were spared because of his willingness and love and grace to take our place. 
For if we, while we were enemies, remember what I said a while ago, we were enemies? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man's sin, Adam, entered into the world, then death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the, law, uh, uh, until the law, sin was in the world. In other words, before God gave Moses the, the commands, uh, the, the, the law, there was still sin in the world, right? From Adam's, it, it was existing. But sin is not imputed when there's no law. In other words, not deposited in a person's account until there's, until there's a law that says you've sinned. Nevertheless, there was still death, and it reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the same way that Adam sinned who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. In other words, the, the, the free gift that we have from, from God through Jesus Christ is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of one, the many died, all of us, much more did the grace of God and the gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. So eternal life is not like the, the way that we got sin through Adam. For on the one hand, the, ju uh, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many re uh, transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression the one, death reigned through one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then as through the one, through one transgression, Adam, there resulted condemnation to all men. So because of Adam's sin, every single one of us was under the judgment of God, the condemnation of God, because we were sinners. He said, just as it's like that, even so, through the one act of righteousness, there resulted, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of one, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. increase. In other words, God gave the law so that people understood clearly what sin was and show them just how much they were sinning but where sin increased grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in in death even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through jesus christ our lord beautiful chapter i mean romans is so full and chapter five i love that goes into chapter six and it says what shall we say then shall we sin all the more that grace will abound and god forbid he says may it never be it gets down further in, in, in romans chapter six and verse 23 another very familiar scripture for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord Listen, if that doesn't fill your heart with gratitude and praise, something is spiritually and desperately wrong. But the amazing thing is this, throughout history, there's been a lot of men and women who have died for just causes. Many have sacrificed their lives for the lives of others. We've known some of those people. 
whether they were firefighters or police officers or military personnel or even just good Samaritans laying down their lives for other people, just causes. In addition to this, there have been many people throughout history that have claimed to be God, that have claimed to be the Messiah. We had one even here in Texas that we know of to be the only way to eternal life. But listen to me, none, not even one. There's only one except, just except Jesus who has risen from the grave. All of them have claimed it. Jesus said himself, there will be many that come in my name. But there's only one out of all of the just deaths and, and all of the righteous you know, acts and all of the, the, the noble acts and, and the good things that people have done to save the lives of many. I mean, you think about, I mean, one of the things we, we immediately think of when we think about this is 9-11, right? Firefighters and police officers, first responders running into burning buildings and, 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 and many of them giving their lives to try to save other people. Man, righteous, noble, just. I mean, we think of all these words, uh, great acts. But nobody who's given their life for anybody has risen from the grave except for Jesus Christ. Again, this was the point of contention for which they wanted Paul dead. You know, they were trying to stuff out, snuff out this, this um, crazy doctrine that was going around, this crazy teaching about Jesus, who they knew they saw was dead. They put him in the grave. They put a stone around it. They put soldiers around it and said, this guy's dead. We're going to make sure they're not going to steal his body. They wanted to snuff out that crazy doctrine that he actually rose from the grave like he said he was going to do. And today, the resurrection is still the pivotal point of the gospel. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive, after his suffering, by many infallible proofs, irrefutable proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this what we've been waiting for? Like, you're going to come back. You said that you're going to come back. The Holy Spirit's going to do this. Uh, is this when we're going to see Rome kicked out and we actually have our land again? And he said to him, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. Listen to this. In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, which includes Caesarea, and to the end of the earth which would include Rome. Paul would explain this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, and we're almost done. Now I'll make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you which, you, which also you received and which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day 
according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, who's Peter, and then the, the other twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. And Paul was writing that to the Corinthians because he was saying, look, you could go talk to these people right now. But some have fallen asleep, some have passed away. But then he appeared to James and then all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. This is the apostle Paul. For I'm the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. This is what I did, though. I labored even more than all of them. Why? Because it was God's grace on me. And that's the reason I am what I am. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some people say among you that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. Somebody says, well, so what? But if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. What's the point? The pivotal point, the resurrection is the pivotal point of the gospel. If Christ is not raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith in Jesus Christ is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has been not raised, then your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. The resurrection is the pivotal point of the gospel. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. I think all of us know somebody in here who has had faith in Jesus Christ who has died and gone on, right? He's saying those people who have fallen asleep in Christ, if, if they've perished. They're dead. They're not in heaven. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, it doesn't take us beyond this life. We are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of all those who are asleep. For since by man came death, Adam, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead, Jesus. For in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, after those who are coming, or those who are, are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to, God, to, the, to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when he says all things are put in subjection, it's evident that he has ex uh, accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him. He's talking about the Father. So that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? Why are, are, why are we also in danger every hour? The pivotal point of the gospel is the resurrection. We are in danger every hour because we're preaching Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the grave. I affirm, brethren, by boasting in you which you have Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. 
If from human motives I fought with the wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, then let us have the same mindset that the, 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 the pagans do. Let us eat and drink because tomorrow we die. That's all it's about. Live it up right now. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Be careful who you hang around. Be sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But some will say, well, how are the dead raised? And what kind of body will they come in? You fool, Paul says. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. It's the same way for salvation. Unless we die, we can't live in Christ. And that which you sow, you do not sow a body which is to be but a bare grain perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished and to each the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh. Amen. Wouldn't it be weird if we all looked the same? Amen. Thank you. <laughs> but there is one flesh of men. And then there's also different kinds. There's a different flesh of beasts and a different flesh of birds and of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It's sown a perishable body, but is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, and it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, and raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body... There is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit, Jesus. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, Adam, earthly. The second man is from heaven, Jesus. As, in, as is the earthly, so also are those who are earthly. And as the heavenly, so also those who are heavenly. Just as we, be, just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Now, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We're not all going to pass away on this earth. But we will all be changed, Christians. In a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and then the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Amen. For this perishable, this earthly body, must put on imperishable. And this mortal, this mortal body, must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come, to the, to, uh, come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where's your victory? O oh, death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin. Is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. As we close, some might ask, in the end, Scripture says, Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, so it is to be. Amen. Every eye, the Bible says, will see him. 
Every eye will see Jesus at his return. Every eye, the Bible says, even those who pierced him, every eye will see him. The question someone might ask is, well, why didn't Jesus do that at his resurrection? If he could show himself to every eye when he comes back at his second coming, why did he not do it at his resurrection? Then there would be no debate. Then there would be no trial. Then there would be no, you know, trying to kill Paul and, and martyr Christians. Everybody will have seen Jesus, even the pagans and secular and, and worldly people, the sinners, unrighteous. Every eye would have seen Jesus who was dead is now risen from the grave. Why didn't he do that then? Because faith is a gift. And it comes from hearing. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It comes from hearing the word of God. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of what? Things not seen. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight. Even though many saw, there were still that many that didn't believe. In Mark chapter 8, verse 18, having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember. He was even telling his disciples that. We have to remember as well that God has been given us, God has given us the light so that we can shine it to others. Remember that the resurrection is the pivotal point of the gospel. The reason why you're, you're still here. The reason why that you're still breathing, as I said in the beginning, is God's not done with you. You have a purpose. Even in the midst of a trial, you could be in a prison. You could be in the prison of your trials right now. You could be under the weight of persecution. You could be, no matter what, you're still here. God has a purpose. What is that purpose? Go and preach the death, the burial, and the resurrection until he comes back. That's why we're here. He's alive. He's alive. Our God is alive. We serve a risen king. We serve the living God. We've got to preach it. We've got to share it. We've got to live like that's the truth because it is the truth. And if you're here today, if you're watching online and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, it's the only way to heaven. Jesus said it himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We've already seen it in Scripture. There's no righteous works you can do. There's no good acts. You can't come to church enough. You can't say the right prayer. You can't do anything in yourself except trust Him wholly. That's it. It's trusting Him wholly. What does trust look like? I've said it many times before. You're doing it right now to those chairs. You're trusting those chairs wholly. All of your physical weight, your whole body is resting in that chair. To be saved, you put your soul, your confidence, your eternity, your whole life rest in Jesus Christ alone. His substitutionary death and his resurrection from the grave. If you've never done that before, I'm begging you. Whether you've made a profession before, many we talked about this last week in our, our new members class. A lot, of, a lot of us have had that experience when we were younger. We thought we got saved. We didn't fully understand. We, we didn't truly surrender. And then later in life, we realized, I need to surrender my life to Christ. Don't let the moment, don't let the opportunity, if you need to give your life to Christ, do it now. Don't wait. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all you do. 
Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the substitutionary death. Thank you for the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness. Thank you for the atonement, the propitiation. Thank you for doing everything that only you could do for us, that we could be saved from the wrath that we so deserve. God, thank you for all of that, and thank you for the resurrection. We know that you are God alone. You rose from the grave, being victorious over sin in the grave and death. You, you are the victorious God. And we are thankful that we can serve you and worship you and gather together in freedom. And Lord, it's, again, if there's somebody here today that has never experienced the freedom of, uh, of forgiveness, they've never experienced the freedom from their sins, they've never surrendered their life to you, once and for all, I pray that they would make that decision today. And for those of us who have, I pray that we would remember today just how important it is that we go and share the gospel with others. That's why we're still here. It's not to get and gain and to live on this earth and enjoy all the things that this earth has to offer. It's to be a vessel of honor for you, to be an instrument of righteousness yielded to your work, to be immovable, always abounding in your work. Lord, help us to see our lives like that. And along the way, we do get to enjoy the blessings. But that's not why we're here. Lord, help us to see with the right vision and help us respond rightly now. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he sings, I'll invite you to come.